So hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Ottoman History Podcast. I'm Susie Ferguson. Our guest today is Dr. Leila Amzi Erdodoulard, who received her PhD from the Department of Middle Eastern, South Asian, and African Studies at Columbia University, uh, where she currently teaches. Um, she is working on a book manuscript based on that dissertation, which is titled Tentatively Afterlife of Empire. Um, the book explores Ottoman continuities in Habsburg, Bosnia, Herzegovina, and it's a case study about the life of empires after they legally cease to exist in a territory, as well as imperial features that continue to structure the lives of former subjects um, in understanding place, identity, and future as citizens of states. Uh, Dr. Amzi Erdodular has conducted research in Istanbul and Sarajevo, uh, and has received a number of awards, including the Fulbright Hayes and ACLS Fellowship in East European Studies, uh, Tabri Kler. <laughs> um, uh, she's a specialist in Middle Eastern studies, um, and her research focuses broadly on the late Ottoman period, the Balkans, empire, nationalism, and Islam. So I hope that today uh, we can get to a variety of these fascinating topics. Um, so Leila, thank you so much for being on the podcast with us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So I thought we could start out, um, you know, your, your research has focused on the history of Bosnia um, between 1878, which is the date of the Treaty of Berlin, and 1918, which marked the dissolution of the Habsburg monarchy um, after World War I. So you mentioned that this is a period of great interest to Bosnian historians um, and historians of, of this part of the world and has been you know, relatively kind of heavily written about and covered. So I'm curious what drew you to this period um, and to the project and how you came to think of kind of a new way or a new perspective of writing the history of this period in Bosnia. Well, um, the research itself, I, I started uh, working on migrations. <laughs> so I went to the archives with an intent to um, research migrations from the Balkans and, and specifically Bosnia-Herzegovina. But then um, these migrations opened up all these very new and um, uh, interesting uh, questions that... Um, I focused more and more, and migrations is still uh, remained uh, remains part of my work. But um, the the research itself was um, that, and the material that I that I found was uh, so fascinating and um, gave me a, a completely different picture of this uh, this period. As you mentioned, this is um, this is probably the the most written um, period of, of uh, Bosnian history uh, in. Um, as it is this break uh, in all of Balkan history, the break with Ottoman Empire is sort of the the, the threshold, the breaking point uh, in in um, in this historical narrative, especially from the nationalist po point of view. And um, in in Bosnia in particular, uh, the the Habsburg period, which is um, which is the period that marks it a bit different from other Ottoman provinces in. Uh, in the Balkans is uh, described as this period of as, as the beginning of modernization and sort of realization of of, of national identity, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But um, how my work is different and and what I uh, what I found uh, very interesting about this period is that I I researched it from the point of view of the uh, Ottoman sources uh, and not necessarily Austrian, which are uh, very um, 
abundant and uh, researched, as, as I mentioned, researched, uh, over-researched. Uh, but uh, the Ottoman the Ottoman side of the story is uh, re- remain remained untold, and um, um, I think that one of the greatest contributions of my work is actually uh, the Ottoman side of the story. So let's talk a little bit about the Ottoman side, as this is the Ottoman history podcast. We are also very interested in the Ottoman side. Um, so uh, you know, you describe. Uh, sort of what you find in in your work as um, that uh, residents of of what is now Bosnia um, and uh, particularly Muslims in some ways remained Ottoman even after um, 1878 and the Treaty of Berlin and the sort of occupation by the Habsburgs of the region. So what what did it mean for these people to remain Ottoman um, and how did this play out? So, um, as um, just in brief, as part of this uh, Eastern question uh, or uh, resolution of the the Eastern question at the Berlin Conference, the pro- Ottoman province of Bosnia was given to uh, Habsburg Empire, to the Austrian Austro-Hungarian Empire, um, to administer. So it was still legally um, Ottoman province, and sovereignty was the Sultan's. But the Habsburgs um, were to administer this province. And um, what is interesting from the point of view of the international law here is that it is one of those first instances where it's fairly legally ambiguous, actually, because there there were no rules about international occupation or different kinds of occupations. So both Austrians and Ottomans pretty much explored how far they can... Uh, uh, they can go in asserting their own their own power. Um, some of the first um, conversations and, and, and treatises written about international law and especially of occupation come much later, a few decades later, um, uh, after 1878. And so the Ottomans didn't quite know what this occupation will entail because we have different kinds of... Um, European involvement in different provinces in the Ottoman Empire already so um there there was much ambiguity about uh how how this will all play out play out and for austrians as well who are not um uh they weren't one of those empires that uh have colonies and and uh, have the the practice of, of occupying this other regions that for them as well was was a big experiment and especially bosnia was their first Muslim uh, colony, I would say, or, or territory that they uh, uh, that they occupied. So um, it was very experimental. The 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 policies and and the rules they um, instilled in the province were all new for them as well. And and they actually explored how other empires like the Russians and uh, or the British dealt with their with their Muslim Muslim populations <laughs> in order to to create these new policies. Interesting. Yes. So um so in some sense, I mean this was clearly experimental and new from the perspective of both of the sort of kind of we call them overlapping imperial powers. Um what about for people who were living there? I mean, how did their uh relationship to the Ottoman state change or not change um after eighteen seventy eight? So after eighteen seventy eight, um in 1878 and 79, uh, the the Austrians come in and they actually come in with the military and there's some uh, resistance that were uh, that was crushed within uh, several months. Um, 
but um, it, it is obvious that, um, and, and the Austrians acknowledge the sovereignty of the Sultan and um, are actually very um, uh, keen on having the population see them in, in a positive light and, and um, uh, even um, announcing and giving out these pamphlets about how they're actually going to fix the roads and do all these and solve all these problems that the Ottomans uh, couldn't uh, in in the province and um, some of the people do um, accept the um, the new the new um, administration and some don't and one of the the main uh, and most obvious reactions to Austrian occupation was migration um, even before the Austrians, enter uh, Bosnia-Herzegovina, there were some groups, uh, especially notables uh, of, of the notable class, who uh, decide to migrate um, to the Ottoman Empire. After, um, after the occupation, also there are waves of, of migration um, in, from, from the province. And um, later on, when, uh, when the Austrians um, announced the conscription law, uh, there's another wave. And then in 1908, when the province is finally annexed, there's another wave of, uh, of migration. Again, there are um, later waves of migration as well. And this, this uh, brings us back to this uh, whole uh, idea of uh, uh, them still, cons- of people in, in Bosnia and this province uh, still uh, continuing some kind of a connection with the Ottoman Empire, and even later. Turkey until the 1950s, we have waves of migration, migrations uh, from from this province. Right, which is fascinating. And I hope we can get to that question of sort of the um, the sort of long afterlife of empire, um, perhaps a little later. Uh, so, I mean, this this um, this research that you've done about the migration seems to me to be really kind of surprising and interesting. Right. You, you sort of ask this question of why would um, Slavic speaking non-Muslim, even non-Muslim uh, Bosnians um, move into the, the the Ottoman Empire after 1878, um, and sort of, I'm curious, you know, what what do you make of that? Why do they why do they go? Um, if if as you say, the Austrians are promising, you know, new roads and efficient administration and all of this. Well, um, the the pattern of um, territorial loss in uh, in the in the Balkans, especially, was um, sort of the main uh, um, the main reason or the, the the main example for for the population um, as to what happens once the Ottomans are gone. And in most of other regions like Serbia, there were agreements or uh, people agreements with the Ottoman Empire about population exchanges or or not ex- exchange per se, but uh, of population leaving. Um, these territories or um, population was just expelled or killed or um, so so it wasn't a positive image or there, there was no um, uh, there was no province especially in the surrounding regions where one could uh, say oh well we can we can just stay in our um, and, and it will be okay right they had examples <laughs> they of... had ne- more negative examples and then there's this uh, whole history of, of Bosnia with Austria, because Bosnia is the westernmost border of the Ottoman Empire, and um, the whole um, history is um, um, is sort of inter- intertwined with this Habsburg hostility and um, and this um, 
lore of protecting the the Ottoman borders uh, against the Habsburgs who who were um, sort of pushing east. So. Um, uh just just having that as a background is um and this is felt i mean this sort of fear of habsburg um occupation or control and sort of affinity for the ottomans is felt not only by muslims but also by orthodox or is this um sort of already in 1878 divided up by um confessional group um well there are definitely confessional groups i mean the whole millet system and and there are uh sort of nationalists agents working in in Bosnia and uh, education and this is this is whole other other story with the with this with this period of of Tanzimat and um how it uh, how it all worked out in in Bosnia but um uh, for um for the orthodox population as well um Habsburgs are not a, a good news either because first of all Serbia has uh, hostilities and there are um Serbian Orthodox minorities within Habsburg Empire who are um, engaged in oppositional activity already. So, so these groups already have, and and uh, usually they're um, they have this uh, so-called national consciousness <laughs> um, that and that they're and a lot of these agents that were actually working in Ottoman Bosnia come from these um, uh, regions of Hungary and and Croatia. Um, that that were under Habsburg um, Habsburg rule, so so there is the uh, the the underlying activity against Austrian rule and 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 even hostility, um, and I think for all of the population of of Bosnia, a change. Uh, is always something to be wary about. Hmm. <laughs> what, what? Because people do, do not know what it will bring, right? Regardless of what the promises were, and um, and there are also other issues of the Ottoman system where one has a, a, a status um, or uh, right. work based on this that 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 exists in this Ottoman system, but it wouldn't necessarily exist in in right. the Austrian system. And sort of so. better the the devil you know than the devil you don't. In, like. in a way, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Great. Well, I mean, I think I, let's return quickly to the 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 sort of story of these these migrants. I mean, you present um you present kind of numbers which are large and then even larger. I think you mentioned once that it's uh, fifty thousand to one hundred and fifty thousand are the are the estimates for that um from eighteen seventy eight to the early 20th century? Yeah, to about 1914, right. I think. So but this is a large number of people. Um, it's a large number of people, but uh, in in comparison to the amount of, um, or, or the numbers of um, migrants that came to the Ottoman Empire in the, this same period of about 100 years, I would expand mm. it, is, is actually a very uh, small uh, percentage. So for, for Bosnia, definitely it is uh, a large number. Um, but for the Ottomans, for the perhaps, Ottomans, it, it, it is not. Yes. And yet, and um, yet, um, you know, it seems from your work that uh, the Ottoman state really, you know, that these migrants were perhaps more more useful or more troublesome than their numbers might suggest. Um, so maybe you can tell us a little bit about what was the perspective of of Istanbul on um, this phenomenon. And what did they? What what were they prepared to do about it? Did they support mig- migration? Were they in favor of it? Did they actively deter it? Um, how did it work? Well, the the general um, assumption is that um, because of Sultan Abdul Hamid's uh, p- 
policies of uh, pan-Islamism or, or um, that um, all there there are even some works and, and documents actually that uh, um, talk about uh, Abdul Hamid as as seeing um, as, as as even inviting uh, migrants, especially Muslims, to live under um, the rule of the caliph, um, the sort of the supreme guide of 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 all the Muslims of the world. But uh, when uh, when I looked at the actual documents, especially the cabinet uh, and uh, the many many documents that uh, advised the sultan on the policies, especially of refugees, because it, they would usually be initiated by petitions by individuals or groups or um, um, asking for permission to migrate to the Ottoman Empire. Um, that that's that was the dynamic. Um, and the cabinet, on many many occasions, starting in 1878-79 period, would advise uh, not allowing these these migrants to uh, to move uh, to to move to the Ottoman Empire. Um, the reasons were many. <laughs> uh, so the the treasury, of course, would. Um, uh, have the logic of right. financial difficulty of Certainly all the migrants. Certainly the, the logic of the Ottoman state yes. at this moment is driven by questions of finance. Definitely. <laughs> Who's going to pay for it? And the yeah. Emigrants Commission has similar um, uh, problems. Again, it's it's financial difficulty of bringing these people as well as settling them and then caring for them. Um, and the Emigrants Commission was even involved in uh, finding finding. Uh, places for the, for these people to be resettled, whether it was the um, housing in the cities or land, giving them land somewhere uh, somewhere else. Um, so there are sort of logistical difficulties about what to do with these people. Um, so were there were there other reasons that the Ottomans were sort of not eager to have people move um, into the empire proper? Yes. So one of the, the main reasons that the cabinet uh, proposed is that um, um, basically they said we wouldn't want to have, uh, we wouldn't want to empty out Bosnia of its Muslims because this is in this legally ambiguous, uh, internationally legally ambiguous uh, situation. This is our um, sort of stake for claim or, or a sphere of influence that we could exercise in this region, based on uh, protecting the Muslims, so so the Ottomans are actually turning the tables on on the Europeans and and using the same policies um, in uh, uh, when when it comes to the Muslim population. So they're 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 claiming protections of the Muslims in Bosnia and especially their link to the caliph, which is what the the Bosnians themselves use in petitions, both to the Ottomans and the Austrians. Um, and the, this this connection based on the the based on religion is actually spelled out in the in the agreement uh, the post Berlin uh, agreement between the two countries and uh, that there's a special there's some kind of special legal yes, relationship yes, between the, Bosnian the, Muslims yes, and the, 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 the Muslims Sultan, Caliph, the Muslims right? uh, will have unimpeded access and and relationship with mm-hmm. the caliph and and there was the same uh clause for the orthodox christians uh whose patriarch was also in istanbul so what the austrians did is to work on severing these ties both of the orthodox christians and the muslims um with istanbul and uh, how they did that is to provide um um sort of an alternative 
network or alter- alternative hierarchy. For the Orthodox within the Austrian Empire, there was already the the Karlowitz uh, patriarchy, and uh, in a, a series of talks and, and a final agreement with the patriarch in um, in Istanbul, um, they they were sort of transferred <laughs> to. Uh, to the other patriarchy that right. that was um, based in in Austria, so right. basically named and and sort of sponsored by the, em- the Austrian Empire rather right. than the Sultan. But I imagine that for the Muslim community, this is a little the story is a little different, right? You mentioned that this is really uh, the first the Habsburgs' first Muslim area under their control, um, and then there's also you know this sort of rising tide in in the Ottoman Empire of sort of pan-Islamist rhetoric um, and positioning you know the Sultan as the sort of center of uh, an Islamic world or an Islamic community. So what happens uh, what happens to the Muslims in Bosnia? The Austrians were from the start very careful about um, the Muslims because they saw them as the population uh, through which they could peacefully and and uh, effectively. Uh, control the province. So were they were they sort of activating um, you know sort of concepts of citizenship and belonging among Muslims, or how do they make these appeals to the Muslim community, given that there's already such a strong tie to Istanbul? Well, there there was uh, a series of um, policies that accommodated um, the the Muslims, especially well the Muslims. When I say the Muslims, it's the the notables and um, the ulema that were most uh, vocal about um, their rights in, in, in this new province. And um, so, where, for example, when uh, one of the first, uh, uh, when, the, when one of the first papers uh, was published in, in the province and um, the, the people who were publishing wanted to, the notables and the intellectuals of, of the time, they wanted to publish it in Turkish and when they when they asked uh, the permission they they it was granted mm. and um, some of the and and this is very strange because it's it wasn't the language of the province the it's it's the language of the province is Bosnians it's a Slavic language right nor was it the language of the governing power right I yes mean it's, yes right but uh, because of the educational patterns and structure in the Ottoman Empire, anyone who was educated, especially higher education, would take place in places like Istanbul, Edirne, Salonika. Um, right. So this sort of literate elite, this was the language would, that they wanted would, to write and would publish write in. Would write in Turkish, yes. And they, although they, they spoke Bosnian as their colloquial language, they wouldn't necessarily write um uh, in it, uh, in the beginning, although there were um, there were papers that were in the Tanzimat uh, issued in the Tanzimat period that uh, were in Bosnian, and there was a lot of experimentation with different scripts. Actually, not experimentation per se, but for the press. But there was there were different scripts used for uh, Bosnian language. Um, of course, Arabic script. So the Bosnian language would be written in Arabic script, just like the Ottoman uh, is. And then there's. Um, Bosanjica mm. and then the Cyrillic Latin script, wow. etc. So, so it sounds like what you're describing almost is this kind of moment where what had been a shared intellectual, one shared intellectual world is sort of trying to, you know, these intellect, these Bosnian intellectuals are trying to place themselves in kind of a new set of circumstances, right? And one of the choices they have to make is what language they're going to publish in and what kind of alphabet they're going to use. 
Um, so maybe we could just turn to to some of these um, these thinkers that you uh, have also worked on, and and you know maybe link them up to um, some of the larger changes that are going on uh, post eighteen seventy eight. Um, do these intellectuals have positions on migration, for example, or are they is this an issue that they're interested in? Oh, definitely. From from the start, actually, the both the intellectuals and um, and the ulema. Uh, who who have a say in in sort of the public opinion of the time are very much against migration, and it's for similar reasons that the Ottomans uh, have, and that is that um, the the community within Bosnia will be weakened weakened, and uh, that they wouldn't um, we, they wouldn't necessarily have uh, the power that they that they used to have in right. the province. So for yes. them, their sort of local community and power uh, is more important than, you know, some kind of relationship or proximity to the what used to be the imperial center in Istanbul. Yes. Well, the, uh, something I didn't mention about migration is that there, there were very different reasons for migration, one of the main ones being economic circumstance. So even um, at the arrival of, the 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 Habsburgs the the economic situation was not uh, that great and then there are um, different um, natural disasters and and things that that um, you know crops not being well that year or um, conscription all kinds of different mm. administrative and um, conscription problems. into the Austrian into the Austrian army army yes and we're uh, we're um, were Bosnians being conscripted by the Ottomans prior? Not at this time. Okay, but before, yes. So that was yes. a clear. That's a clear reason to move in a way. Well, it's it was um, the the way it was framed is uh, serving in a non-Muslim military or serving uh, a non-Muslim emperor, um, and even migration was also framed in this um, religious talk saying. Oh, we should migrate because we want to live under Muslim ruler, and uh, to the point that some preachers um, in the documents I found that these preachers apparently came from the Ottoman Empire, and they preached that um, living under um, a non-Muslim ru- ruler or a non-Muslim rule uh, in in the province is um, makes all of these religious rights invalid, like marriage or fasting or prayer. Um, and uh, these kind of preachers, lo- both local and, and visiting ones, would encourage population, uh, especially rural population, to, to move. And, and the, the framework of this religious language was most effective to a broad audience, regardless of their economic status. Mm. Or, um, but actual, the actual reasons, as I said, would would be more practical uh, yeah. or were more pra- practical. But it's interesting, right? Because what you pointed out is a situation in which um, large numbers of people are leaving. Uh, the local intelligentsia is anti-migration and is encouraging people to stay. Um, the Ottoman state is anti-migration, right? And it's encouraging people to stay at least ex- in their explicit... To stay put. Yeah, re- as, as they, ...registers. As they... And then there are these, um, these, are, there are these traveling preachers who are mobilizing a religious vocabulary to encourage people to leave. And then, of course, you're pointing out that people did leave, and in large numbers, and, and mostly for practical reasons. So there's this sort of level of what intellectuals in the state are talking about, and then there's this level of what people are actually doing in their daily lives. Yes, 
Yes. And uh, what what the people who wrote and and worked against migration uh, did is they also engaged in this uh, sort of religious discourse of um, explaining how migration is actually not Islamic. <laughs> and um, uh, from from early on, the, the late 19th century, you have the locals issuing all these different religious rulings, the fatwas, about how migration is actually detrimental to the community and um, others writing about how uh, difficult the hardships of the road and, and how difficult it is to actually um, live in the Ottoman Empire and um, how uh, many of these provinces where people are settled are not as um, economically developed as Bosnia was at the time or um, even things like um, the, the land is not as productive mm. or th- things like this. And um, um, in um, later on in the early 20th century, we even... Um, um have uh, more of a um discourse that that takes more of a sort of international <laughs> stage about um migration whether whether people muslims from um regions that are ruled by non-muslims should migrate to to the Ottoman Empire right. to, to Muslim regions right. and and this is not only a Bosnian issue it becomes an issue in um, other regions in Eurasia it becomes an issue in Bulgaria and Algeria things, places like that mm. so and it also becomes um, an important sort of intellectual question right I think you you put it as sort of the question of what the relationship is between your religious uh, affiliation and your relationship with the state, right? Do you have a responsibility as a Muslim to live under a Muslim ruler um, or not? And this is sort of the first time this question has been posed uh, within the sort of Islamic intellectual tradition. Yes, yes. So this yes. is fascinating. You point out that this is a question that gets taken up by people like Rashid Rida, um, you know, sort of the sort of larger world of Islamic uh, thought at this moment. Are there other issues which are shared between um, the sort of Bosnian Muslim intelligentsia and the sort of larger world of, as you could call it, Islamic modernism or Islamic thought? Uh, well, definitely. And um, just uh, to, to give an example from this um, migration issue, um, it is it is beginning to be... Um, um, mixed in with uh, with uh, nationalism with all these different um, ideas of identity that are circulating and um, being Muslim becomes uh, almost a, a, an issue of nationality <laughs> in 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 the ways that these um, intellectuals or or alims are explaining why one should not migrate and and they would even cite hadith that support, uh, that support their claims, and one of the most often cited is uh, "Love on the homeland." Is uh, I, I cited it's part of faith. It's part of faith, yeah. And um, and it's it's cited throughout these different regions um, to encourage people not to not to migrate. Um, as the the problem in most of these regions is by having people leave. Um, the, it weakens the the community that stays and and creates a, a lot of other other issues. So yeah, right, which is a problem. You know, the Ottomans are contending with this problem from a practical perspective, where they sort of they want to have a kind of foot in the door still in Bosnia, and then you know, sort of Islamic intellectuals are confronting this problem from a theological 
um, perspective of, you know, is it, uh, is it permitted for Muslims to live under or serve in a non-Muslim army? Um, so that's a, that's a sort of fascinating overlap of concerns on the part of pretty different set of actors. So just to return really quickly to this question of um, sort of, you know, clearly uh, the local intellectuals are thinking about what it means to be a Muslim in Bosnia. Um, the Ottoman state is interested in thinking about what it means for people to be Muslim in Bosnia. Right. And then also um, the Habsburgs have, you know, sort of an approach to the Muslim population, um, which you had you had mentioned a little bit earlier was sort of about um, perhaps convincing them that this was a, a better alternative. But so how did how did the Austrians deal with the Muslim population in Bosnia? So the Austrians um, tried to accommodate uh, the Muslims as much as uh, as much as they could, but still keep a firm grip on the province and um, and the activities in the province. So there was um, again, it's at this point both for the Austrian Empire and Austria-Hungaria and the Ottomans, nationalism is a big problem and these nationalist organizations. So they sort of banned them outright in uh, in Bosnia in the, in the the first decades. Later on, they, th- these organizations were allowed, but and and they turn into parties uh, in in this nascent. Uh, and these are Bosnian nationalist organizations. Um, they, they are um, Serbian, Croatian, and and Muslim, pretty much. Right. Yes. Okay. So there there was this uh, uh, idea of Bosnian uh, and Bosnianism and Bo- Bo- Bosniak. Um, nationality as a nationality uh, it, it was floating around and then um, there was uh, another one which was the, the Muslim identity so so these kind of um, were used uh, interchangeable almost and um, although uh, that the Bosnian identity is as a territorial um, right. unit was right. uh, and this is, of course, happening elsewhere in former Ottoman provinces, right? I mean, in Egypt, for example, um, claims to a sort of Muslim unity uh, are sort of overlapping at this moment with claims to an Egyptian national territorial identity are also overlapping with claims um, about language and sort of linguistic uh, yes. unity and community. Yes. yes, and language becomes one of these um, unifying factors in, in Bosnia. Um, and, um, but even, uh, later on, uh, even for, um, these, these nationalist claims by, um, Croatian and Serbian groups, uh, claims that Muslims were actually, um, Serbs or Croatians, depending on who you ask, uh, because of their language and, and, and their Slavic, Slavic origin. So, so yes, language becomes very important. And for intellectuals, it is, uh, it is, uh, a part of their, um, identity um, in many ways and um, in many ways it, it was a practical um, um, tool uh, for education for example and even from the period of Tanzimat in the 1860s uh, there are proposals to um, have the education in Bosnia in the local language rather than in Turkish and there are complaints that oh the teachers don't no Turkish well enough to teach, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, so there there are these these issues um, actually that started um, uh, circulating in in mm. the Tanzimat in the pre-Austrian 
period right. in, in Bosnia. So th- that's spilled over into a set of new conditions right. uh, in the Austrian period. So do the Austrians find um, find sort of Muslim uh, national Bosnian nationalist groups more threatening um, than others? Or are they, are, are they kind of very suspicious of all of these um, nationalist groupings or imaginations? Well, the, the Austrians are um, themselves uh, engaged in this uh, uh, projecting this image of a multicultural empire, um, something along the lines of the Ottoman Empire as well. And uh, what they what they did with their groups is is especially in Bosnia is create sort of or continue uh, the Ottoman millet system or even reinforce it. Uh, in the province of Bosnia, and um, as I as I mentioned with the other uh, religious groups, um, uh, the the Orthodox were uh, sort of um, traded. transferred, <laughs> traded into the the Karlovitz Patriarchy and and separated from Istanbul. Although uh, the the relationships don't stop, right. uh, of course, and and there is a diaspora in Istanbul that. Um, that works uh, of, of Orthodox Christians from Bosnia as well as Serbs from Serbia. Mm. Uh, the diaspora that that sort of lobbies the the Ottoman uh, administration um, mostly against Austria. <laughs> so so they, they their main their their main uh, uh, work is on that as as well as in Budapest. So they were they kind of work against the, the Austrian right. Austrian policies but uh and and they did the same thing for the catholics or it's it's a catholic empire but uh, they they managed to separate um the appointment of the the priests and bishops in Bosnia from uh the Vatican uh, into the sort of local or i would say regional um Catholic hierarchy. Hmm. So, so it's interesting because you see an empire, what you're describing is an empire working through actually the sort of localization of power rather than trying to do everything at the center. They're actually saying, well, you know, it'd be better for us if we if we make local authorities in charge but, of this question. And the local question. authorities are very much tied to the center. Right. So, right. Um, I mean, it's very, it's a very, for this is an Ottoman <laughs> history podcast. So you, people. It's a very Ottoman study, strategy. It's a very yeah. Ottoman, Ottoman uh, system. And, um, what they what the Austrians didn't know is how to get the the Muslims under their, uh, their under their authority, right. and, and this proved as the most difficult tasks. But um, what they did was actually very ingenious. They, as I said, they they explored and, re- and researched how other empires dealt with their Muslims, <laughs> and um, good students of history. <laughs> and um, when. Um, uh, of course, the 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 structure in in Bosnia that exists is the the typical Ottoman structure of mufti uh, being in the the, the cities and um, and then they would they're the the Sharia courts etc etc. Et so all of this was uh, continued to exist in the Austrian uh, under the Austrian administration, but um, slowly they uh, started to. Um, uh, change that and and bring everything under Austrian control. So what I did with the with the religious hierarchy, which was um, connected to Istanbul uh, outright, is um, that they appointed the uh, the Mufti of Sarajevo to an entirely new post, Reisul mm-hmm. uh, Ulema. And since the Mufti of Sarajevo was already appointed by the Sheikh Islam in Istanbul. Um, they thought he wouldn't 
mind he wouldn't uh, come against this uh, appointment because it's his appointee. So there's this new position, Reisul uh, Ulema, that the Austrians invent, and they create a whole uh, body, a whole hierarchy, religious hierarchy, that has a, a, a majlis, a, a council, and they would appoint different, um, whether it was just judges or, or teachers or imams. And so in, in this way, um, the, the hierarchy, this, the, the whole system of... Um, Religious of authority. Religious authority mm. was uh, cut off from from Istanbul so in this way. So the um, the Reis al Ulama, right, the head of the Ulama, is then is appointed by the Austrians after this. After point? this, yes, ah, it's appointed by the that's Austrians. Very ingenious. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> so they're going to promote the the first one, and then after that, it's yes. going to be up to them to yes. decide. Yes, and w- what d- what they did is when uh, when the Sheikhul Islam appointed another mufti to Sarajevo. Um, they prevented him from coming, saying, "Well, we are the local authority here, mm-hmm. and the the local religious authority is not appointed from the center, mm-hmm. but by the local authority." Mm. So, in 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 a sense, what the Austrians do is to produce a kind of Muslim millet under their own authority. Exactly, yeah. and and because there was no such a thing as Muslim millet in right. in the Ottoman Empire, right. in in the Austrian case, in Bosnian case, uh, under Austrian occupation. Uh, actually, we have creation of this Bosnian millet <laughs> that uh, that is reinforced almost by by Austria, the whole system, and um, and it's important to note also that the Austrians uh, uh, maintained a lot of these Ottoman uh, practices and mm-hmm. laws that existed in the in in the so province. Who, who were the the Muslims in Bosnia? Were they are they are they Sunni? Are they um, are they all? They're Sunni. Yeah. Yes. Hanabi. Okay. Yes. Interesting. Uh, Interesting. Yes. So I love this. I love that the Austrians are kind of adopting an Ottoman technology of rule uh, to their own to their own ends in this kind of intermediate period, which is so fascinating. So um, maybe we could just sort of uh, finish here with this question of um, sort of, you know, we've been talking a lot about this period after 1878. Right. But you also mentioned that, um, you know, obviously the formal status of Bosnia changes in 1908 with the young Turks um, who formally recognize the sort of Austrian control over uh, over the, the region. So, um, you know, in what ways does 1908 change anything in Bosnia or does it sort of intensify dynamics that have already um, been at play? You know, do people have a harder time remaining Ottoman uh, than they had before? Well, in 1908, um, all hope of going back into the Ottoman fold is... Uh, it's extinguished. extinguished. It's it just um, uh, it, it is obvious that um, there's no no such um, opportunity anymore. And um, actually, uh, with the whole Young Turk activity, there was hope that this will sort of reinvigorate the empire and they will become part of the Ottoman Empire again. In some circles, of course. Hmm. Uh, but it's been um, several decades that they're part of. Austria, uh, technically, um, and um, the the agreement uh, uh, that um, between the Ottomans and the Habsburg, it's sort of acknowledging all the details with the with the transfer of the province into the Austrian fold, um, 
actually specified some monetary uh, compensation to the Ottomans, to which Bosnians were most offended. Wow! So they're sort of <laughs> selling off one of their one of their pieces. Yes. <laughs> yes. So so even a, a, a memorandum was written to the new parliament and um, a so leader of the autonomous movement, mm-hmm. uh, the, actually the movement for autonomy in culture, culture and religious education. Um, uh, spoke to the parliament. So uh, some Bosnian Muslims see this as a betrayal. In a way, yes. Yeah. Yes. But then again, there's a, a, a wave of migration to the Ottoman Empire after this. Uh, right. Uh, again, spread by um, people who um, were saying, oh, now you're under Austrian uh, rule completely. There's no protection. Your land will be taken, etc. Right. Like all these uh, sort of. Uh, uh, gossip spread, you know, among rural populations mostly, and propaganda. <laughs> um, and the people who benefited were the people buying property from uh, the the refu- from the migrants right. who were right. leaving. So this and and this is the kind of issue in, in migration that uh, ensued. The one one thing that I didn't mention before is that this is one migration uh, that was enforced. Mm. So it was up to people to to decide whether they would go or not, which wasn't the case in many other, um, with many other migrants right. who were coming to the Ottoman Empire. So this is part of what makes Bosnia an exceptional case. So yeah, so mm. that that the issue and and actually the debates about migration are um, more important here mm-hmm. than than anywhere else because it's less clear. What yes, and needs especially to be because done, of yeah. the the way the Muslims lived. In the, under Austrian occupation, where there were all these accommodations, and um, um, so is it is it Muslim um, elites and and notables in Bosnia who are benefiting from this sort of wave of uh, migration? For example, after 1908, where they're sort of buying up land on the cheap, um, or or is that is it a different group of folks who are buying up the land? Well, by by this time, um, pretty much everyone is against the migration and. It would be it would be hard to find somebody to to advocate migration among the intellectuals or right. or the notables, uh, but um, even some of the organizations, especially nationalist organizations, were involved in uh, like Serbian and Croatian Croatian, especially in Herzegovina, promoting this um, all the all the propaganda and the gossip, mm. spreading the gossip uh, because they were buying up land and settling um, Croatian. Uh, population in on that land. Interesting. Um, so later on, this becomes uh, important when there are censuses and and this whole idea of land and nationalism, etc. Yeah, et so right. Another another issue, now. which is one that is yeah. you know sort of ongoing question. Um, but maybe I mean so you know your your forthcoming book is called the Afterlife of Empire. Um, so how how long is the afterlife of empire? I mean, uh, you sort of you sort of I don't suggest think it's, it ended <laughs> so right. You sort of suggest that um, the sort of perhaps uh, affinity or um, sort of shared world of thought between Bosnian Bosnian Muslims um, kind of transfers over to the Republic of Turkey. Even um, so, maybe you could say a little bit about that. You know, so what is the what is the long twentieth century afterlife of empire? Well, w- one thing I would I would like to say first is that. Um, with the occupation of uh, Bosnia by by a multicultural em- empire that Habsburg uh, Empire was, um, actually preserved uh, 
the Muslim uh, population and and the diversity within within this this province, this territory, um, as well as sort of the architecture and and all these things that are non-existent in many of the mm. other Balkan regions where right. where the Ottoman is, Ottomans existed, most notably Serbia and even Macedonia, which separates much later. But um, you know this this um, um, it's it's a different period. So um, so the Habsburgs, in a way, protect the diversity of this place yes. um, while it's under their and, administration and, uh, and sort of provide a, a, a time and and um, um, and a place for creation of this um, uh, sort of pre national <laughs> pre nation state. Um, preparation, I would say, <laughs> uh, that that Muslim went Muslims went through, um, that serves as an example to other Muslim groups in um, in the Balkans, especially um, as to what what to expect and what to do when once the Ottoman uh, Empire withdrew. So uh, you sort of suggest in your conclusion that um, the afterlife of empire has not yet ended in a way, and that the uh, the kind of relationship or affinity of Bosnian Muslims to the Republic of Turkey or to a, a kind of broader world of Islamic thought um, persists well into the 20th century. Uh, I don't know if you could tell us a little bit about uh, what you mean by that. Well, starting with this, this period that I studied, which is the end of 19th and beginning of 20th century, and the, the specific case of, of Bosnia-Herzegovina, uh, what what I saw here is that the, the, the Muslims in Bosnia saw the Ottomans as their great power protector. And and as we've seen in the, the, the politics and diplomacy of this period, it is these little uh, groups and nations that needed a great power um, to protect their interests and and sort of uh, forward them in in the international arena, and the Bosnians, the Bosnian Muslims, um, saw the Ottomans as their protector, which and is of course fascinating because we usually hear about that relationship in the context of the Ottoman Empire, where the French or the British or the Russians exactly. are the kind of great power. So exactly. for the Bosnians, you know, the Ottoman Empire before its dissolution was the great power protector. So then what happens, um, you know, after the end of World War One, the product, the creation of the Republic of Turkey? Um, you know, do you see in sort of 20th century Bosnian life, uh, you know, a, a kind of shared world of thought um, or any kind of political affinities or? Well, by, by the time um, World War One ends, uh, Bosnia is um, not bordering Ottoman Empire anymore and there are actually several countries right, in far between. from it yes um, and there's a lot of uh, after the Balkan Wars 1912 and 1913 and then World War one there's a lot of violence especially against Muslims that transpired in this region and um, existence of Muslims is even more precarious in um, the the states that um, that were created first in between the two wars the the kingdom of um, the kingdom of Yugoslavia and then later on the the socialist uh, Yugoslavia right and um, um, Muslims still of course remained in, remain in these countries but there were uh, waves of migration and violence against Muslims. Uh, in uh, in waves again, again mm -hmm. uh, throughout the wars and even in uh, peaceful times. Right. So uh, what they saw and what the reaction often was is this exit policy is 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 uh, 
sort of leaving leaving the country and mm. and going to to Turkey to the Ottoman Empire until it existed and then later on to Turkey. Right. Um the whole um so this period sets a pattern of migration um either forced or chosen depending on the the context uh which will mark the sort of experience of of Bosnians of some Bosnian Muslims um throughout the 20th century. So so it's 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 also themselves seeing the Turkey as as their sort of protector hmm. um and the only powerful entity that would protect their interest or sort of provide uh shelter uh, especially in the 50s when they when Turkey was not not involved in right. Balkan politics or right. any, any kind of but uh, later on like in in the 1990s or or even now uh so um it's it's a It's a mixed answer. Yeah, <laughs> well, it's a least. sort of complex so, afterlife. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But uh, but there there's definitely an an afterlife and not just in the case of Bosnia, but I think many others um, when we look at institutional con- uh, continu- continuities mm-hmm. for example or um um just the, the continuation of the millet system right. <laughs> in its many forms, especially in the Balkans. Um, so right, and the structuring of institutional formations and communities around definitely. religious religious yes. national identities. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh. Yes. So there are many many faucets to to, to explore. Right. This, uh, All of which sort of is in some ways, um, you know, inspired or or fixed in this period or begun in this period that you're looking yes, at. Yes, and and what and this is not a uniquely Ottoman case. It's also. Um, Uh, a very uh, valid claim in um, studying the Habsburg Empire, especially its late period and Russian Empire. And uh, something that I talk throughout uh, my work, uh, something that I talk about throughout my work is actually um, loyalty and allegiance. Mm-hmm. And um, i- within empire, there are many different sort of overlapping layers or parallel layers. And um, in in the Habsburg case, case uh, Peter Hanak talks about this with the military of this Hungarian um, allegiance to the the empire and and the dynasty, but also uh, sort of a Hungarian reality of language and uh, ethnicity, um, which was uh, an identity available in in a setting of an empire. Right. But once uh, once the empires cease to exist, there are many of these groups that uh, are kind of left in the cold. And and one of those groups, I, I think, would that Uh, one can compare is Jews in um, post Habsburg Austria mm-hmm. and 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 Germany, where um, they they faced similar similar issues like like the Muslims in in Bosnia Herzegovina. Yeah, and it's certainly you know this is a this is a moment where um, you know one political formation of in this case overlapping multicultural empires, but. Certainly, in any case, you know, pre-nation state is sort of replaced by um, other kinds of political borders. Um, but certainly, then to go back and to think about the afterlife of this period um, and the kinds of processes processes of identity and community formation that are not cut off um, by the changing of political borders or political, you know, control is very uh, is very provocative. I think so. Um, Leila, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. It was really a pleasure to have you um, and sharing with us some of your work uh, on the sort of afterlife of the Ottoman Empire in Bosnia. Um, I think many of the questions that you raised today are, are, are still 
questions that face us or that uh, provoke us. Um, so the question of sort of what sovereignty means in practice, which is a phrase you use, um, in borderlands where political authority overlaps uh, or is not clear. Um, and then also sort of how communal identities um, and political formations develop against the grain of, of states or empires, um, which claim to, to supersede them. So I think... Uh, this is yes, fascinating work. One one thing to add is that um, as we talk about these grand <laughs> international agreements and agreements between empires and and administrations, um, what I actually try to do in my work is look at how people and as individuals and when they organize in, in groups and which are small in in the case of Bosnia and Herzegovina, um, are uh, how they're actually um, manipulating. <laughs> Uh, the circumstances and sort of work with both empires, especially uh, during the time of sort of overlapping sovereignty mm -hmm. until 1908, uh, where they uh, where they're petitioning both the Ottomans and the Austrians with very similar claims, and and they're very aware of um, the norms uh, and and international. Um, language of diplomacy so so they would claim human rights or uh protections from uh, ask for protections from the emperor and from the sultan right um and and things like this so so it's it's not uh, they they weren't these passive recipients of of international agreements right. and and uh, imperial policies but they themselves influence these uh, these policies especially um, in in a, a territory that wasn't really explored, meaning um, not physical territory, but um, things like laws of occupation, right, where there was sort of um, ambiguity, or yes, or or this this hierarchy. And um, although the Austrians decided to do this the, to create this this uh, religious hierarchy, they um, the Muslims uh, insisted to still maintain uh, connection to the caliph, and there was this um, document that the um, Sheikhul Islam would issue ev with every appointment of the Reis ul Ulema mm. that was sent to Sarajevo, sort of uh, con continuing this legitimacy of of the appointment. Um, right. Although it was it was a, a nominal document, right? Um, but this they, all reminds us that you know um, people are not uh, purely the pawns of either exactly. state or imperial exactly. power exactly. and that you know in many cases um individuals are either manipulating or strategizing or sort of playing um different centers of power off against each other uh, especially in these kinds of gray areas or yes. borderlands yes. um which i think you know as a as a historian this is always useful to remember yes. um because you know it's important to think about uh the agendas of your agents um, and sort of what they're able to do under different sets of circumstances so yes. um, thank you so much for this uh, fascinating conversation. Thank you um, for having me. And, uh, you know, we look forward to seeing the book, uh, The Afterlife of Empire, um, hopefully some sometime soon. Uh, and for those who want to find out more about Leila's work, um, we will post a bibliography on our website, www.ottomanhistorypodcast.com, uh, where you can also leave comments and questions. So that's all for this episode. So until next time, take care. Thank you.